Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to uh, the Kindling Rhythms podcast. I'm excited you are joining us today. Uh, if you've never met me before, my name's Justin. Uh, I'm the pastor here at Restore Houston, uh, and I just want to say welcome to one of our meeting houses. Um, we're so glad that you're joining us today. Um, if you didn't get a chance to watch the sermon, that's okay. I'm going to recap a little bit of kind of where we've been uh, and kind of where the topic or, or the direction of the discussions for uh, your meeting house uh, will go. Uh, so we, we were, we've been in James chapter 1 over the last two weeks, and we've been exploring this idea uh, of wholeness, of, of what it means to be whole. Uh, and James is, believe it or not, also encouraging us to explore the same idea, uh, but he's using a different word for it than we might expect. And he's using the word perfect. Uh, so that word perfect shows up in James's letter uh, seven times. And for James, that's, that's significant. Uh, that's important for us to remember uh, because for James and his tradition and his culture, uh, the number seven represented something um, that had to do with completeness or fullness, um, sort of lacking nothing uh, because we're trusting God uh, and we're resting in his love for us, his provision for us. And when we trust God, uh, when we acknowledge that he's God and we are not, uh, it brings us to this place of, of peace and harmony where we can then kind of turn around uh, and love others and care for the world around us. Uh, and so you might recognize that number seven. It shows up a lot of times in scriptures, but one of the places it probably shows up where you're most familiar with is the, is the creation story. Uh, so that creation story, God creates the uh, heavens and the earth in seven days. So six of those days are devoted to God creating uh, and blessing the, the earth. He's, he's taking um, disorder and bringing order out of it. He's bringing um, chaos, and from that chaos, he brings beauty and life and blessing. And so uh, at the end of this whole process is the seventh day. And so for, for James and his traditions, uh, the number seven represented this deeply held truth and hope and, and desire to have wholeness and fullness um, with God like we did in the Garden of Eden. But it doesn't take long for most of us to realize, um, like, we are not whole. <laughs> like, if you just look around at our, our society right now, like, we are anything but whole. My existence feels anything but whole and complete. Uh, I'm anxious. I'm stressed. Maybe I'm dealing with anger or an addiction that just won't go away. Um, or some insecurities or resentments in my heart. Like, maybe I'm struggling with family dynamics. Like, Whatever it is, it, it's pretty, it doesn't take us very long uh, to realize that our existence and our reality is not whole. Um, we're very far away from this original seventh day that uh, Adam and Eve were living in in creation. And so what James is going to do is he's going to invite us through the love and the grace of Jesus, through the work of Jesus, to, in, to begin to enter this wholeness or this completeness again. And so he's, he's going to acknowledge it's, we're not going to achieve it completely. Like There's just on this side of reality, um, while we await the return of Jesus, there's just no um, going back to the way things were exactly. But that doesn't mean that God hasn't started uh, recreating 
or planting uh, his word in our hearts so that we can begin to move back to this idea, to this state where we trust God uh, and we live in harmony with him. And so James is going to explore that a little bit uh, in this passage that we're going to be in this evening, which is the second part, the second part of the very first chapter of James. And so as, as you're uh, discussing James this evening, I just want you to keep in mind some of the key words that we see playing out here. Um, one of those is this idea that the word has been planted in our hearts. And why would James use a word like planted? Like what is, why, why, why couldn't he just say he put it there or he placed it there? Um, I think it's because he's wanting to evoke in us a sense of, of completeness and wholeness that uh, we read about in Genesis 1 and 2 um, about the seventh day or of, of creation. And so James is going to use different language to kind of bring us back there to help us see that this whole and this complete or perfect, as it gets translated in our English versions in your Bibles, uh, reality sort of took place and, and helping our hearts realize like that is possible for us again, but it's going to require wholeness on our part. Really, we can't enter the rest of God and the love of God uh, and, the, and the grace of God holding on to other things that we think are more important than God. And so what James, part of what James is going to do in his letter is address the ways uh, that we as people hold on to these other things that we think are more important, that we think will bring us a whole and complete reality, and they just won't. And so in the first part of uh, James's letter, uh, the very, very beginning of the letter, he'll talk about how suffering is an opportunity uh, for us to actually see what is most important, and that is primarily um, our relationship with God, resting in the love and the grace of Jesus and trusting him to govern our lives and take care of us. And then he'll go into uh, a discussion about wealth and how wealth in and of itself is not evil. But what he does say is that wealth can be a big distraction because our wealth and our privilege and our comfort and our security and any, and any way that we've made ourselves comfortable in our existence uh, can sometimes lull us into a false sense of security. And it can lull us into ignoring the needs around us uh, and ignoring who we are, um, who, who, as we will see in this portion of James's letter, uh, we are image bearers of God. And because we are image bearers of God, uh, that means that we have, uh, we have ways in which we respond like God responds. And we know that God is a God of love and of grace. He's a God that gives. And so if we are created in that image, for us to be, experience this whole and complete reality, we need to operate um, sort of in that framework or in that mold that we've been given. Um, but what James will end up uh, getting at is there's other things that will interfere with that image, and one of those things is wealth. Wealth can cause you to be apathetic for the, the pain and the suffering of the world around you. It can also cause you to think that you're more in control of your future and your existence than you actually are. 
It can give you confidence in your own abilities instead of encouraging uh, or, or sort of ushering our hearts to trust in the love and the grace of God. And so James warns us uh, about these things and says, listen, if you're in a place where you're not privileged, where you're experiencing oppression, where you're suffering, he doesn't say, re- he doesn't say find joy in those things, right? Like he's not a sadist. He's not like, you know, find joy in your pain, like love it, feel it going through your veins. I don't know why I'm doing a whole Colgan impression uh, on the podcast. Um, I guess this is why pastors script their sermons, but um, he's not getting at us. He's not saying, so rejoice because you're suffering, but he is saying, look at your suffering as an opportunity uh, to turn your hearts um, towards your ultimate source of joy, and that is Jesus. And so in this portion of the letter, he's going to continue to talk about what are those things uh, that we as people um, do that create fragmentation in our own lives. And one of the ways he's going to do that today uh, is talking about our words and how we address uh, other people. And so he's not, it's very easy to read his, um, his conversation he has on the words we use and think, oh, he's encouraging us like not to say bad words. Um, that's not really what James is getting at. Um, like it's, it's really not like I, I, and I know there can be a whole discussion on what kind of words should we use as Christians and all of that. And that, I'm, that's an important discussion. We got to have that discussion, but not, um, that's not what James is driving at. Uh, what James is driving at here is something I think a much more significant and much more profound. And that is, he's saying, listen, the way that you use your words, either to love others or to attack them and tear them down or dehumanize them, makes a big difference uh, in the state of your own heart as well as theirs. And so that's why um, we see whenever there's kind of massive tragedy, tragedies like genocide or the Holocaust, Uh, Whenever there's an extreme amount of hatred and division going on in our world, one of the things that we began to see is very quickly people dehumanize each other with their words. And so James is going to exercise caution because he says when you dehumanize others, you begin to strip them of that image uh, of God that they've been given. You're treating them as, as less than what they are. And when you treat them as less than what they are, you begin to oper- operate outside of that mold uh, where you are supposed to, to love others and to give generously and to extend grace in the way that God does as a God of love. So when you begin to, de- to, to dehumanize others with the way that you speak about them and reference them and talk to them, what, he is, what he's saying is uh, that's going to end up causing deep fragmentation in your life. And he's going to use the analogy of a mirror. He's going to look into him. It's like looking into a mirror and then walking away and forgetting what you looked like, forgetting who you are. When you look into uh, the, the law of God, and I, we'll talk a little bit more about that before we close. Um, you look into the law of God, you see, when you look into that, um, you see this picture of humanity uh, being created in the image of God uh, to live in a place of submission uh, and trust in him, and then to be able to live in harmony and love with each other. And so James, essentially what he's saying is that law is like a mirror. 
And you look into that and you can see that picture of this is who you are, this is how you were created to be. But if you look into that and you turn around and you start um, using your words or your anger to um, bring people down, to, to act out of revenge, to act violently or to dehumanize them, you forget. You've looked into this perfect mirror and you forget. Um, but what James will say is, um, looking into this picture of, of how humanity was created, believe it or not, it's, and he'll use the word perfect, it's the perfect law that sets you free, or the whole or complete law that sets you free. And what he means by that is, this is how the world was supposed to operate. This is how you were built and created to operate. And when you operate in that mold and in that framework, what you'll find is instead of finding a lack of freedom, you'll find true freedom because your heart will be set free to experience life the way that God intended it to, where we rest in his love and his grace, where we surrender um, our fears and our anxieties and our resentments to him. We forgive, we extend grace, and we love others the way that he loves us. That for James is a whole or complete reality. And that's why he will say, look into the perfect law that sets you free. Now, just a quick aside, um, for those of you who might feel confused about that word law, um, that word law is a little bit confusing. It comes from the Greek word nomos. Uh, and basically what happened is this. We'll just nerd out really quick. And if you're not interested in this, this isn't something that like you need to know. It's not a foundation of your faith. I'm just trying to help us understand when we read that word law. Um, but what ended up happening was uh, when, when the New Testament was getting translated uh, into Greek, Sometimes the translators didn't quite know what to do with that word law because there wasn't quite an equivalent of it in, in Greek as there were in some of the ancient Hebrew documents that they were translating. And so what ended up happening, long, long story short, uh, is sometimes that word law is meant to be heard as instructions. Because us in, in modern kind of Western culture, when we think of law, we think of a law that's telling us what to do and not to do. Like, don't run through this stop sign don't steal this or whatever right like this is what you got to do and this is what you're not supposed to do um but the law for james when he says that it means something bigger and it means instructions and instructions um can can kind of come about in different ways you can give someone instructions like don't do that right don't cross the street without looking both ways um, right? You can give them instructions like that. Um, you can also give instructions in different kinds of ways. Um, so for example, um, if like an Aesop's fable might be a, gr a great example of an instruction where it's really a story, right? Like a, there's a fox trying to get sour grapes and he can't get them and says, ah, oh, they're probably sour anyway. And there's nothing in that Aesop's fable uh, that told you how to live like there was nothing in there that said when you see grapes and you can't reach them They're probably sour um, But what it's doing is it's giving us sort of instructions for how life works um, Without ever actually telling us this is how life works and so for James um, This perfect law or these instructions are the Torah 
And the Torah is those first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And many times in those books, there are laws. God will say, do this and don't do that and treat your neighbor this way. Um, but there are other times where there are stories uh, which are equally instructable. They're equal, like we can look at those and still gives us a picture uh, of how we are supposed to um, think about reality and think about ourselves uh, and, and how God created us and all of those kinds of things can be found in the Torah or the law. And so for James, when he says, gaze into the perfect law that sets you free, um, part of what he's encouraging us to do is look at how what the Torah is saying, what the instructions of God in the first five books of the Bible are saying. And if you read them, ultimately what they're all going to do is they're going to point back to the person of Jesus and the royal law that he gives us, which is to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so there are many different ways, many different paths we can take ultimately to this, this perfect law. And so one of the ways that we'll do it in the meeting house today is we're going to look at uh, Genesis and these parts where God is creating humanity and blessing creation and, and, and bestowing his sacred image onto Adam and to Eve, uh, onto men and women, and, and sort of asking ourselves, what's the instruction? What's the perfect law that we see here? Uh, and how might that point to Jesus and how might that set us free? Uh, so anyway, uh, I'm so glad you're here. Um, I'm grateful uh, for those of you who are part of our community. Um, becoming a church in the middle of a pandemic was certainly something that I didn't originally picture uh, when we started Restore, and yet I'm continuously grateful for all of you uh, and the love that you show each other um, and just the space that you guys are creating um, for uh, Jesus to um, heal and restore and be present in other people's lives.